Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show on the Four Persons Network. This is our weekly Friday morning show with Catholic apologist Ken Litchfield. To call into the show today, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, let's welcome our host Ken Litchfield. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes, including last week's show notes, you can email me at catholicken at thefourpersons.com. That's catholic with a K, Ken, at the four persons, and that's the, the number four, persons.com. That's catholicken at thefourpersons.com. Or you can look me up on Facebook and we can connect there. If you'd like to have me come speak at your parish about this or any other topic, you can also email me at the same address of catholicken at thefourpersons.com or you can look me up on Facebook. So let's go and get going with today's show. Uh, first, a little review of the first part here in case you missed it or forgot about it. Uh, at the time of Jesus... The Jews had different canons of scripture. The Sadducees only accepted the five books of Moses as scripture. The Pharisees accepted uh, the five books of Moses and other writings of the prophets and histories and things like that. And they were grouped into 22 to 24 books. There was also a writing at the time of Jesus called the Septuagint that all the Jews, well, the Jews used that lived around the Mediterranean basis. We have to remember at this time, the Jews were spread out all around the Mediterranean, not just in the area of Judea or Palestine, depending on how you want to look at the map. Now, all of the writings of, that are in our New Testament were written in the first century. However, there were other Christian writings that were written and circulated, as in like copied and shared amongst the churches in the first century. And the Bible also tells us about uh, some earlier writings of Paul that did not end up in the New Testament. So the first century writings that were copied and shared are the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Epistle of Barnabas, First Clement to the Corinthians. And in First Corinthians chapter five, Paul mentions to the Corinthians that he referred he wrote them an earlier letter. Yet we don't have that in the New Testament. And in Colossians chapter four, he tells them 
to exchange letters with the ones, one he wrote to the Laodiceans. Yet we do not have a letter to the Laodiceans in our New Testament. In 360 AD, that same council of Laodicea, well, they had a council in the city of Laodicea, and they had all the books of what we call the New Testament now, except for the book of Revelation in their canon of scripture. In 367 AD, Athanasius, bishop of Alexandria, wrote a letter to all the churches in his bishopric, and in his letter, he lists all of the books in our New Testament. In 382 AD, the church in Rome held a council. They came up with the 73-book canon of Scripture that we now have today, and that's 46 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. And after the council in 382, they sent a copy of that list around to all the other churches for their use and reference. Now, the canon of Scripture is the list of books that can be read during Mass or the, lit the Divine Liturgy. The, what we now call the Bible is a library of books. And some of the things that are in the Bible can be read at Mass, and some of them can't. You know, there may be charts or maps or other early Christian writings that might be in the Bible, but they aren't necessarily suitable for reading at Mass. So that's an important distinction to note that between the Bible canon of Scripture. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's in the canon of Scripture. So, uh, we ended somewhere around the end of the fourth, oh, end of the four, huh? the beginning of the four hundreds, um, and so we'll pick up around four fifty A.D. when a simple Syriac version of the Bible called the Prosciutto was translated. And this is important to note that you know Protestants like to accuse us Catholics of keeping the Bible only in Latin, so only people who knew Latin could read it, but the fact is the Catholic Church allowed local tr language translations all the way from the beginning. Even the Latin Vulgate would have been a local language translation because the Latin was the language of the western part of the Roman Empire. In the eastern part of the Roman Empire, it was Greek. In the early Christian writings, uh, the New Testament writings were written in Greek. So you could say the Latin Vulgate was the first vernacular or local language translation. Also in the mid-400s, a translation into Georgian was made. For those of you who don't know your geography very well, Georgia is a country that used to be part of the Soviet Union and is now in that same neighborhood like with Turkey and other countries like that. So between 500 and 1000 AD, the Jewish rabbis had different vowel points and accents on different words, so there was no standard Hebrew text. 
The Hebrew Masoretic text was established by 1050 AD, providing a standard consonant and vowel Hebrew text like modern books now have. This is the standard Hebrew text used by Jews and scholars today. The texts found with the Dead Sea Scrolls show us that even before the time of Christ, the Jews had variations in their scriptures. In the late 600s, the first of many English translations of the Bible was made. This translation was called the Cataman. Around 700 AD, St. Bede finished a complete translation of the Bible into Anglo-Saxon. Partial Bible translations into languages of the English people can be traced back to the mid-7th century, which would be the 600s, including translations into Old and Middle English. More than 450 translations into English have been written. Although John Wycliffe is often credited with the first translation of the Bible into English, there were, in fact, many translations of large parts of the Bible centuries before Wycliffe's work. The English Bible was translated from the Latin Vulgate into English by a few select monks and scholars. Such translations were generally in the form of prose or an interlinear glosses, that is, literal, literal translations above the Latin words. And it's important to note that in different languages have different ways that they order their sentences and words and punctuation. So if you translate directly from Latin into English, you know, it may sound very unusual, weird, foreign <laughs> to us modern English speakers because of the way uh, Latin grammar and punctuation works compared to English grammar and punctuation works. Very few complete translations existed during this time. Rather, most of the books of the Bible existed separately and were read as individual texts. Toward the end of the seventh century, the late 600s, the Venerable Bede began a translation of scripture into Old English, which is also known as Anglo-Saxon. Between 639 and 709 AD, Aldhelm translated the complete book of Psalms and large portions of other scriptures into Old English. In 748 AD, the first High German translation of the Bible was provided by the Catholic Church. It was the first of about 13 more German translations handwritten before 1520. So the idea that Martin Luther was the first person to put the Bible into the local language of the people, again, is shown to be historically false. And he can't even claim to be the first German translator. Because 800 years before Luther, the Catholic Church was providing German translations. In 787 AD, the Council of Nicaea II accepted the determinations of previous smaller councils. This included the canon of scripture determined by the Council of Carthage in 397 AD. 
around 800 AD, Charlemagne has translated the Bible into had the Bible translated into Frankish. Charlemagne was a French king, or a king in the area now that we now call France, and he had the Bible translated into the local language for the people there. Between 850 and 899 AD, King Alfred the Great translated the Bible into the Anglo-Saxon, the English of his time. In 367 AD, we have the oldest Arabic Bible that still exists from Mount Sinai. It is called the Codex 151. In the late 800s, Saints Cyril and Methodius translated the Bible into Old Church Slavonic. They invented the Cyrillic alphabet in order to do so. Between 875 and 1000 AD, Alfred the Great provided Old English translations of the Bible. Around 990 AD, the Gospels were translated into West Saxon, also known as Wessex, dialect of Old English. In 1199 AD, Pope Innocent III bans unauthorized translations of the Bible because of the Cathar heresy, which taught that there was an evil God of the Old Testament and a good God of the New Testament. For the French-speaking areas, there is a, another translation that was done between 1226 and 1250 AD by Jean Le Bon of the University of Paris. In 1297 AD, the Bible Historelle of Garant des Moulins, the 1377 Bible de Charles V, and even printed versions decades before Luther. Missionaries translated the Bible into Mongolian during the Yuan dynasty, which was between 1271 and 1368 AD. So that would be like the Chinese area of the world now. And there were local language translations of the Bible available back in the late 1200s and early 1300s. Between 1205 and 1228, the Bible was separated into chapters to make it easier to locate sections of the books in the Bible by Steve Langton, who was a professor at the University of Parish, Paris and future Catholic Archbishop of Canterbury. So before the Bible was separated into chapters, uh, could refer to a book that was in the Bible, but then you know, they could say like, you know, the middle section or the early section or the late section, it was harder to narrow down those sections in the Bible. So by separating it into chapters, you could refer somebody to a place in the Bible that was a lot more narrowed down. Around 1230 AD, Cardinal Hugh of St. Cher 
supervised a group of Dominican monks that developed the first concordance of the Bible, which allowed people to look up words and where they were used in the Bible. You know, if you're wondering, you know, where um, the Eucharist was mentioned in the Bible, you could use this concordance chart to allow you to find out where that's mentioned in the Bible. And it would refer you to a page number then to look at. In the late 1200s AD, Orm provided an accepted Middle English translation of the Bible. The Bible was translated into Castilian Spanish in the so-called pre-Alphonsian version, which led to the Alphonsine version for the court of Alfonso X around 1280 AD. Boniface Ferrer was a Car Carthusian monk, brother of St. Vincent Ferrer, and translator of the Bible, the Vel Valencian language. In 1349, Richard Roll completed an accepted Middle English translation of the Bible. In 1360, the oldest Czech translation of the Bible was finished. It is called the Leskovec Dresden Bible. In 1381, a Bohemian Czech translation of the Bible was presented to Queen Anne of Bohemia. In 382, John Wycliffe supervised many unauthorized Middle English versions of the Bible from the Latin Vulgate. These Bibles included the deuterocanonical books because they were considered part of the Bible at that time. Understand why Wycliffe's uh, translations were rejected. Let's look at some of the language from the Bible. The Latin Vulgate in Genesis chapter 1 says, Dixicu dus fiat le et facete est lux. Now, the early Wycliffe translation says, And God said, Be made light, and made is light. Later Wycliffe translations, And God said, Light be made, and light was made. Now, the Dewey Rames translation of the Latin Vulgate into English said, says, And God said, Be light made, and light was made. Modern English translations say, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Another section from the Wycliffe Bible, uh, the familiar John 3.16 is rendered in later Wycliffe versions as God loved so the world that he gave his only begotten son that each man who believeth in him perish not and has everlasting life. Now the King James Version translates John 3.16 as, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So from these brief passages here, we can see how Old English, Middle English, Latin, 
and even the King James Bible has have different ways of presenting the same language. Languages change over time. It doesn't mean that they're trying to trick people or things like that. Translators always have to interpret what the original language means and the current understanding of that language in their time. So we always have to keep that in mind when we're reading a translation of the Bible. In 1441, the Council of Florence approved the list of books accepted at the councils of Rome, Hippo, and Carthage. In 1456, Gutenberg invents movable type and the Catholic Church starts providing printed copies of the Bible. It's often said that Gutenberg developed the printing press, but the printing press already existed at the time of Gutenberg. And it was a an extended use of the olive press that was used to squeeze the oil out of olives. So um, presses were around for a long time before Gutenberg, but and they would actually print out pictures and even you know pamphlets or pages uh, by de carving it into a piece of wood and then putting the ink on that and printing that onto paper. But what Gutenberg developed was individual letters that could be grouped together to form. He was able to reuse those letters by pulling them out after printing pages and using them over again. Before Gutenberg, you would have to make up a plate for each page of the Bible, which you know, would require the production of thousands of plates. And even Gutenberg's first Bible was still in two volumes because his type font was pretty big. And to make the Bible manageable, it had to be in two volumes. In 1466, the mental German translation of the Latin Vulgate is provided by the Catholic Church. So again, this is well before Martin Luther made his German translation, the Catholic Church is already providing German translations. In 1466, a Catholic German printer named Johannes Mentelin printed a German translation of the Bible. This, is, this was also approved by the Catholic Church. And because it was a printed version, there were many copies available to people to buy. Before the movable type was invented, every Bible had to be hand copied and it would take a monk, you know, at least a year to copy the Bible. Bibles were very valuable because of all the labor that went into them. And they were generally written on vellum, which is an animal skin. So an animal had to give up its life, the skin removed from the animal, that skin tanned in, to make it to preserve it and make it flat, and then somebody could write on it. In 1471, an Italian monk named Niccolo Malamiri made a 
translation, Italian translation of the Bible. In 1515, the text was separated into verses by Robert Esteen, a German printer, so that he could double-check the verses as he was setting the type. This later caused confusion because people now quote individual verses to, to prove doctrine instead of using the teaching of the whole Bible. The idea of you know, separating it into verses, double-check that you have the letters in the correct order as a printer, you know, was important to allow you to make a good copy of the Bible. But just like you can take individual words and cut and paste them together to make whatever sentence you want, Protestants often use just verses from the Bible to prove their interpretation of the Bible, whereas we Catholics use the whole Bible because that's what we've been doing from the beginning. In 1516, the Textus Receptus, Latin and Greek version of the New Testament, was published. This Greek translation was created by a Catholic priest named Desdarius Erasmus. Erasmus used six different Greek texts from the 1100s or later to create this translation. So the accuracy of the translation is considered suspect. The Textus Receptus had the Latin and Greek text writing side by side to allow readers to understand the assumed original Greek text and Latin translation. The Latin used was more modern and a higher level than the Latin in the Vulgate Bible. When Erasmus was making his translation, he didn't have any original Greek texts of the last six verses of the book of Revelation. So he translated the Latin back into Greek. This caused him to create an unusual version of this part of the Bible. The Textus Receptus was used as the base translation for Luther's German Bible, Tyndale's English Bible, the King James Bible, and most Reformed churches church Bibles, as well as a Spanish and Russian translation. So the Textus Receptus is not a very good translation of the Bible, yet it is the base text used by many other Bibles. Team 17, an old Belarusian translation, was completed by a Catholic translator named Franchik Sharina. So think about this. Prior to the Reformation, 600 Catholic editions existed. 200 of them were in common languages. There were copies of the Bible in Italian, French, Flemish, Bohemian, Spanish, German, Norwegian, Hungarian, Hungarian Russian, Polish, Danish, before the Reformation. So the idea that the Catholic Church only kept the Bible in Latin before the Reformation is completely debunked, and we should consider that false. And we should show anybody who makes that claim the historical truth that what they have been taught by some guy is not actually historically true. In 1534, Martin Luther finished 
his first translation of the Bible into German. He separated the deuterocanonical books from the Old Testament, but left them in his New German translation. He also separated the book of James, Jude, 2nd and 3rd John, 2nd Peter, and Hebrews as questionable, and put Revelation after the index because he didn't think it belonged in the Bible at all. Martin Luther rejected certain tenets found in the Alexandrian canon. He denied the doctrine of purgatory, and found, which is found in 2nd Maccabees. He also denied free will, which is found in Sirach, and the efficacy of good works, which is found in Tobit. So he could not he could not just remove these books from the Bible because everybody had knew known that they were in the Bible prior to Luther. So he rejected the entire canon of scriptures used by the church for fifteen hundred years and substituted the Jewish Palestinian canon which is the modern Protestant 66 Old Testament book, group of books. He took seven books that were contested, and he called them apocryphal, which means false or spurious. He sandwiched them between the Old and New Testament in his Bible and claimed that they were worthy of study, but not divinely. Between 1522 and 1535, William Tyndale made an English translation, a Middle English translation of the New Testament. The translations were declared as corrupt by King Henry VIII for purposely biased translations. Tyndale was tried for heresy and executed by Emperor Charles V. Tyndale thought that if a ruler was immoral, people were not required to listen to that ruler. And the rulers of that time received their authority. They had what they called divine rule. The Catholic Church authorized the rulers to be king in their area for that time because the church and the state were working hand in hand at that time. In 1539, an English translation of the Bible was commissioned by Henry VIII, called, and it was called the Great Bible. In 1550, the list of the 46 Old Testament books and the 27 New Testament books were made official at the Council of Trent. The Catholic uh, Old Testament of 46 books was generally used since 382 AD but and was accepted by many Catholic councils in between 382 and 1550 but it was never officially declared as scripture by the church but since Martin Luther made his translation and left and downgraded the seven deuterocanonical books the Catholic Church decided that it was needed to make it official and that was done at the Council of Trent. All of the bishops at the Council of Trent voted to make this the official list 
of canonical books, but a majority did, and so therefore it became the official doctrine of the Catholic Church. In 1555 AD, Moses of Mardin, a Syriac Orthodox priest, made a current translation and published 1,000 copies of the Bible. In 1560 AD, the Geneva Bible was created in Geneva, Switzerland. This English translation was done by Protestant scholars that fled England during the reign of Queen Mary. This translation was heavily influenced by John Calvin and John Knox. This was the preferred translation of the Puritans. In 1568, Queen Elizabeth commissioned the Church of England to develop the Bishop's Bible for use in their churches. In 1610, the Dewey Rames translation of the Bible was completed. It is an English translation of the Bible provided by the Catholic Church with margin notes explaining the translation from Hebrew, Greek, and Vulgate texts. In 1611, the King James translation of the Bible was completed. It used five different English texts, including the Bishop's Bible and Tyndale's translations, the Textus Receptus Greek translation, the Hebrew Masoretic texts as sources. It was purposely written to provide smooth, flowing, and poetic-sounding English. This original King James translation of the Bible still included the deuterocanonical books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom, Baruch, Sirach, Tobit, and Judith. In 1769, the deuterocanonical books were dropped after revision by an Oxford professor. As early as 1615, Jesuit missionaries sought and received permission from Rome to translate the Catholic Bible into literary Chinese. In the Ming Dynasty, which was from 1368 to 1644 AD, a Jesuit named Matteo Ricci made a translation of the Bible in Chinese, as did Louis de Perrault, another Jesuit. In 1826, these books were removed from all Protestant Bibles because it was cheaper to publish Bibles without the deuterocanonical books. So the seven books that are in Catholic Bibles that are not in Protestant Bibles, which is First and Second Maccabees, Wisdom, Baruch, Sirach, Tobit, and Judith, were officially removed from all Protestant Bibles by 1826. There was the English Bible Society that sponsored uh, the publishing of the Bible in English. And by sponsoring them, they would put up the money for people to do a translation. And then after the people sold all those printed translations, they would get their money back. But because they refused to 
loan money to printers that wanted to do translations of the Bible that that wanted to include the deuterocanonical books. Protestant publishers stopped publishing the deuterocanonical books in their Bibles. If you ever get a copy of the original King James Bible from 1611, you'll find that the deuterocanonical books are in there. And there are also charts you know, for the feast days of the saints and other Catholic feast days. Um, and other information that are not in modern versions of the King James Bible. In 1945, the New Testament section of the Knox Bible was published. It was an English translation based on the Latin Vulgate, Greek, and Hebrew texts. In 1946, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. This set of writings was from a Jewish community that existed from about 200 years before the time of Christ. Their writings included a Hebrew copy of Isaiah that more closely followed the Septuagint version of Isaiah than the Hebrew Masoretic text developed later. This Jewish community also had Hebrew copies of Tobit, Sirach, and Wisdom. So there is a common rumor that um, the deuterocanonical books never existed in Hebrew, so therefore we can't consider that the Jews used them. But this Jewish community that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls had some of the deuterocanonical books in Hebrew, and it was a great find to find these old scrolls in the this Dead Sea area because it gave us great into insight into the kind of writings that were available to the first century Christians and what the Jews were using at the time of Christ. In 1950, the Old Testament translation of the Knox Bible was completed. This translation done by Ronald Knox for the Catholic Church in England and Wales. It became more popular than the 1610 Dewey Rames English translation. So before 1950, in almost all English-speaking Catholic churches, they used the 1610 Dewey Rames English translation. And since that translation was more than 300 years old by that time, the English of the Dewey Rames didn't sound very, uh, it sounded kind of awkward compared to the modern English used at that time. It's old English can seem to be, you know, more elevated but unless you understand the language of 300 years before then, or 400 years in our modern times, you may not completely understand the words used and how they were understood at the time the translation was done. In 1961, the Jehovah Witness 
published their first version of the New World Translation of the Bible. The Jehovah Witnesses have a Bible that is similar to our current Bible, but they change some words and verses to suit their new theology. So if you ever see a New World Translation of the Bible, know what you're reading, and if you want to do a good thing, uh, buy it or get a hold of it and dispose of it, as in like burn it or recycle it or shred it, <laughs> because it's not a good translation of the Bible. It's a perverted and corrupted translation of the Bible. The Knox Bible and the Confraternity Bible were used for the lectionary readings in English-speaking countries from 1965 to the early 1970s. Now, the lectionary is a term is that maybe you're not familiar with. So the lectionary is the book that has all the readings of the Old Testament and New Testament that are read during the the first part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Word. And it is laid out in a schedule. Uh, currently, we have a three-year cycle in our lectionary, and it is used by the Catholic Church, Lutheran churches, Methodist churches, and it gives you actually four readings on Sundays where you get an Old Testament reading, a psalm, some readings from the Psalms, and a New Testament epistle reading usually, and a gospel reading. The Knox Bible and the Confraternity Bible were the translations used in the lectionary readings in English-speaking countries from 1965 to the early 1970s. Currently, we are using the New American Bible in the lectionary, which is a good translation, but not really my favorite translation. <laughs> uh, the new revised standard version Catholic edition is the one I prefer. It has, it's more faithful to the original texts, but it does require an understanding of uh, older languages and the NSRV also includes the variations in texts in the footnotes. So you can get a larger picture of the different translations of the Bible. And it's important to note that the NSRV, the New Revised Standard Version, um, takes advantage of all the translations of the Bible over centuries, unlike the King James Bible that was limited to the texts that were available at the time. We have since discovered many older texts, and those are used in the New Revised Standard Version. The Orthodox churches have a variety of canons and are used in different Orthodox churches. The Eastern Orthodox generally have 75 books in their Bible. This is because they have the same 27 books of our 
New Testament, but they also use the Septuagint as their Old Testament. And their Old Testament uh, includes third and fourth Maccabees, whereas we don't have that in the Catholic Old Testament. Eastern Orthodox Georgians have 77 books. So they have a couple more books from the Septuagint in their canon of Scripture. And it's important to just make a distinction between a book being in the Bible and in the canon of Scripture. A book that is in the Bible is in the library that is copied and shared amongst the churches. A book that is in the canon of Scripture is a book that is read during the liturgy of the Word and at Mass, or the Divine Liturgy. Coptic Orthodox 73 books, which is the same 73 books that we Catholics have in our Bible. Arminian Orthodox, they have 76 books. Syriac and Indian Orthodox have 77 books. Ethiopian, Eturian Orthodox have 80 books. And you can also consider it 88 books if you count the New Testament books of their broader canon. So the Ethiopian and Eritrean Orthodox have some New Testament books that are not in our Catholic New Testament. The Assyrian Church of the East has 75 books in their canon of Scripture. Some churches count some books differently, so there may be deviations here and there from these lists. So some churches, they kind of group books together. Uh, some churches will take what we call the book of the Bible and separate it into two parts so that there is, appears to be more books in their Bible than we currently have. Today, the Catholic Church uses the New American Bible translation in the lectionary in our English-speaking churches. In Catholic churches in other countries, they have a translation of the Bible read during the Liturgy of the Word in their local language. Other good modern English translations are the New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, the Ignatius Study Bible, which is based on the New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, and the Haydock Study Bible. The Ignatius Study Bible is a good one to get if you're like brand new to the Bible and you don't know that much about the old languages, the old cultures. So you can get insight into the words that you're reading based on the culture that they were written in. Now, based on the number of verses in the Bible over a three-year cycle in, in the lectionary, Catholics get 6% of the Old Testament and 42% of the New Testament read to them at Sunday Mass. So if you are a Catholic and you only go to church on Sunday, you're going to get 6% of the Old Testament and 42% of the New Testament read to you at Mass. Now, if you're a Catholic and you attend daily Mass and Sunday Mass, 
Then you get 18 of the Old Testament and 72% of the New Testament. Catholics get some from all of the New Testament books and a little from almost all of the Old Testament books read at Mass. Only in the past 500 years has it been practical to own your own Bible. So I encourage you to read yours to get the big picture. The Bible is a Catholic book, and we need to know the whole story. So this is why there's a difference between Protestant and Catholic Bibles today. It wasn't until the end of the 300s that the New Testament scriptures were established. The Didache of Hermas, First Clement to the Corinthians, the Epistle of Barnabas were read in many early churches. The Book of Revelation, Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, James, and the Book of Hebrews were considered questionable by many early churches. The Catholic Church that teaches that baptism forgives sins, that Jesus is present in the Eucharist, and that the Bishop of Rome was the head of the church, is the church that decided which books were divinely inspired word of, of God. No other church can claim that. The Bible contains divinely inspired writings, but they need to be interpreted. The thousands of different Protestant churches have different interpretations of these divinely inspired writings. The Catholic Church has the oldest and original understanding of these writings. The Pope is the successor of the minister that Jesus left behind to feed his sheep and tend his flock. This same Jesus promised to be with him to the end of the time, as shown in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus didn't leave us a book to put our trust in. He left us a church to teach us what he taught, the apostles. We put our trust in the church that Jesus founded, not a book or a man. No other church claims to have developed the list of the books of the Bible. They all inherited it from the Catholic Church. Even Martin Luther was humble enough to admit that he would not have a Bible at his time if it wasn't for the Catholic Church, because only the Catholic Church was around to hand copy and preserve the Bible from the time of Christ to his time. So here are the versions of the Bible that I would recommend. The Ignatius Study Bible and the New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, which is used in the Catechism, and the New American Bible, which is used in the lectionary. Here are some books about the Bible if you want to do some further study. Which came first, The Bible or the Church by Matthew Arnold? Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger by Gary Mashuda. The Case for the Deuterocanon by Gary Mashuda. The Deuterocanon is the seven books that we have in our Old Testament that Protestants don't have anymore. Where We Got the Bible by Henry Graham. You Can Understand the Bible, Peter Kraft. Inside the Bible by Father Ken Baker. Does the Bible Really Say That? by Patrick Madrid, A Pocket Guide to the Bible 
by Scott Hahn, the Catholic Bible Study Handbook by Jerome Codell, Bible Proofs for Catholic Truths by Dave Armstrong, the Catholic Verses of the Bible by Dave Armstrong, Bible Basics for Catholics by John Bergsma, and Hard Sayings by Trent Horn. Also, my friend Gary Mashuda has a YouTube channel called The Apocryphal Apocalypse. He goes over a lot of the fine details on uh, different early church fathers and how they referred to the deuterocanonical books and the alleged uh, shorter canons proposed by some early church fathers that Protestants like to point to. Uh, he really gets into the fine details of the Old Testament deuterocanonical books and debunks a lot of the Protestant interpretations of snippets from these early church fathers. He works with uh, William Albrecht on a lot of the uh, presentations he does, was also well-versed in the deuterocanonical books. And again, it's important to understand that because in the Bible, well, the word Bible means library. So a writing that's in the Bible is in the library for Christians to use. But the canon of Scripture is the set of books that can be read during the liturgy of the Word at Mass. And for those of us that are not familiar with what the liturgy is, liturgy means the work, which refers to the things that the people do during our worship service. And the liturgy of the Word is the part where we have part of the Bible read to us, and then the priest gives a homily explaining how the writings fit together and how they apply to our life in our modern times. The lectionary is set up, Old Testament reading, the Psalms, and the New Testament epistle, usually, and the gospel reading all kind of work together. And that's because the New Testament is hidden in the Old. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And we should reverence it as the inspired word of God. But we also need to keep in mind that the Bible is the written word of God. And most of what Jesus, was, Jesus taught to his apostles and the disciples who were the followers of Jesus was passed on orally more than by the written word. We only have 27 books in the New Testament and they're only from six different authors and out of those six different authors only some of them were, I believe four, were disciples of Jesus. You know, Matthew, Luke, or Matthew, Peter, James, and Jude, and John were disciples of Jesus. Paul was not a disciple of Jesus. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. And we need to keep in mind that 
like what Luke wrote was an organized collection of the stories that he learned from other people at his time. And he assembled all those stories that people told him about Jesus and put them into an orderly gospel that we have called the Gospel of Luke. And the Book of Acts is also written by Luke. Um, it is generally understood that the Book of Hebrews was originally written by Paul and then kind of polished up by Luke, who was a better scribe for his time. The Gospel of Mark is written by Mark, uh, even though it does not, nowhere in the Gospel of Mark does it say that he's the writer of Mark. And he wrote down what he learned from Peter. So we can say that the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of Peter written by Mark. Another interesting little tidbit is that um, the Gospel of Mark seems to be our earliest gospel in Greek. Uh, the early church historian Eusebius tells us that uh, Matthew wrote a version of his gospel in the language of the Hebrews before Mark, uh, but the gospel that we have from Matthew is in Greek and probably used Mark as a guide to translate from his original language of the Hebrews into Greek. So Matthew's gospel can said to be older than Mark's and also newer than Mark's because the current translation that we have of Matthew's gospel in Greek is later than Mark's gospel. So that's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like a copy of today's show notes or have any follow-up questions, you can send me an email at catholicken at thefourpersons.com. That's Catholic with a K. And the four persons is the, the number four, persons.com. So that's catholicken at thefourpersons.com. Or you can look me up on Facebook. May God bless and guide your efforts to bring the truth of the Catholic faith to the world. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.